We're in a series of messages about um, the word develop, because the word of the year at Fellowship Alliance is the word develop. In fact, it's probably even a bigger word than that for us, because that's what we believe needs to happen to you. You need to be developed. And then you need to put yourself in a place of being de- of developing others. So you put yourself in a place of being developed. Coming to church is a great thing, great place to start. You've already started. Now we want you to move on to get in a small group, a men's group, a women's group, a mini church, or get your kids involved in a teen group or in in the sage group. If you're a senior citizen, it doesn't really matter. You just need to get to a next level of somehow de- putting yourself in a place of being developed. Secondly, you need to put yourself in a place of developing others. And this is. This is like frustrating for a pastor because so many people never get there. They just come to church and like, oh, that's all I got to do. No, that's not all you got to do. You're supposed to be in a place of developing someone else, whether it's a kid in kids ministry or, or a teenager or somebody else in your mini church or men's group or women's group. You're kind of be, you need to be in a place. In fact, some of the richest parts of my life at growing in Christ and my journey with the Lord have been found in ministering to others, even right now. The joy of preaching is unbelievable because literally God speaks to you. God teaches you. God helps you and mentors you to speak what you're supposed to. And it's so obvious. The same can happen for you. Maybe you're not a preacher, but you can be used of God to minister to somebody else. That's putting yourself in a place to develop somebody else. I hope you hear that. I hope you take that seriously. Well, if we're trying to develop you here today, one of the most important things the Scripture teaches us about development is that to really be developed, like I just emphasized, is going to take giving of your time, your money, and your energy. You must not be very serious about developing or developing somebody else if you don't give. That's what the Scripture clearly, clearly teaches, as you'll be seeing today. Giving indicates how serious you are. It'd be like you telling me, oh, I really got to lose weight. Well, were you going to diet? No, not going to diet. How serious are you? I really need to learn more, but you don't want to go to school? How serious are you? It's the same thing with giving. And so today we're going to study about this thing called tithing. Tithing's in the Old Testament. Tithing's taught in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a lot of the Old Testament pastors, even a couple of New Testament ones. But what I want you to understand is what tithing is, because there's a lot of sloppy thinking out there, of people thinking we should tithe or we shouldn't tithe. There are arguments about what tithing means and all that kind of stuff. The word tithe literally means 10, so it means 10%. But what does that mean? How does that translate to us? I want to clear up some of that thinking. So today we're going to study about that, and I want God to speak to you and help you understand what your responsibility is there. So would you bow with me and let me pray for you. Lord, we all want to be developed. We know we need development. Each one of us knows of areas in our life that, yeah, we we need some help, Lord. So we believe that you tell us in your word we can be changed. That's that's what redemption's all about. That's what regeneration's all about. We can be changed for eternity. That's what the gospel's all about. So I pray, Lord, you'll help us get it. You'll help us understand it. Please, Lord, teach every person here what it means for them to be a tither or not a tither or a giver or what they should be doing with grace giving in the New Testament. Please teach us the principles of your word and help us put it into our life and really, really develop in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. If you have, if you don't have them, we'll put it on the screen for you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
right after what's called the great temptation of Christ and right before he does the Sermon on the Mount, there's this little section that teaches about Jesus calling the 12 disciples to himself. And if you'll notice, verse 17 with me, excuse me, verse 19 with me, verse 19. So it's Matthew four nineteen says this. Jesus approaches a bunch of guys that are fishing. Many of them became disciples and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was his challenge to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It tells them immediately some of them drop their nets and they follow Jesus. I, w- I want to think about that with you for just a minute. Just that one verse. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice, first of all, what he didn't say. He didn't say, follow me and I will teach you some stuff. I will connect you to the word of God and to some powerful truths that literally radically change your life. You will be able to understand and get insights and and wisdom about things you had never had before. Did that happen to them? Oh, yeah. But he didn't say that. Has that happened to me or you when we've studied the word and teaching the word or even me preaching? Yeah. But that's not what he said. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll teach you great stuff. He didn't also say, come follow me and I'll give you a a community of people. I'll give you friendships like you never had in the world. I'll give you relationships. You would die for each other. Did they end up doing that? Yeah. Is that what we're supposed to have for Christians as a fellowship? Oh, yeah. I remember before I was a believer, all I wanted was friends and close friends. And then when I became a Christian, I thought I was going to be rejected by most of my friends. And I was. But I found new friends that were just amazing. And the fellowship was was sweet, which is what this church is about. Fellowship Alliance. But that's not what he said. Even though it's true. He didn't promise that. He didn't say, you come follow me. And you'll be able to connect to God in prayer like you, you won't believe it. You'll almost sense his presence sometimes. You'll come to a worship service. You'll be able to give glory and sing songs. And you'll feel like you and the Lord are just connecting. You'll be like on a spiritual high. He didn't say that. He didn't promise that. Is that what we experience sometimes? Of course we do. But that's not the key thing. That's not the number one thing. What was the number one thing Jesus said? Right here. You come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Why did he put it that way? It's because Jesus was trying to say, people can be caught. I've been caught. Hopefully you've been caught. What I mean by that, saved, born again, changed. We can still be changed. Jesus was trying to tell these disciples, no matter what anybody thinks, you can go catch people. This can happen to you. This, this, you can be used like this. In God's plan, you will be fishers of men. Come join me and be fishers of men. People can be caught by God, and God uses you to catch them. Now, um, th- this seems to have a great significance, especially to me, because um, maybe you don't know me that well, but I am like a major fisherman. I love fishing. I grew up fishing. I mean, I was fishing when I could barely walk with my dad. I mean, my dad was a fanatical fisherman. Up in Minnesota, I grew up in in Minnesota, a lot of people fish because there's lakes all over the place. So I grew up fishing. My grandfather was such a famous fisherman that the local newspaper made a cartoon character called James H. Chant. It's my grandpa's name. And because he fished all the time, everybody knew he's a big fisherman. So when Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, I go, hey, I know. I know a few things about fishing. And one of the things about fishermen is this. Fishermen believe you can catch them. 
Oh, you might have to fool around, get some different bait, or change around what you're fishing with, or how you're fishing. But you can catch them. And Jesus is saying to these fishermen, you come follow me. I'll tell you guys, we can catch them. And they go, we're in. Let's go, Jesus. They believe people can be caught. Do you believe that? Listen to me. Please listen to me. We started this church in my house. We're meeting in the house, and people are telling me, oh, you can't catch anything out here. You live way out there on that side and wrote, nobody, you can't catch, catch any out here. There's nobody here. You got this little bee church meeting in your house. You're like a cult. You're not going to catch any. <laughs> then we moved into the school in Medford, Memorial School. We're meeting there. You can't catch any here. No, you're meeting in a school. Like, who's going to come to a school? You don't even have a building. Then we build a building, and we got other buildings. Now we got a great big building. People go, oh, you can't catch any. You're too big. You can't catch any. So we're either too, but I'm telling you, those are anti-fishermen. Those are people who don't understand. People can still be caught. In my outline, I put this as the big idea. God uses tithing to change people. The reason I put that is because of what I just said. Jesus says people can be caught. If you're following with me on that and you believe that too, then you know why this man, me, I've tithed, given 10% of my income to church for over 45 years. In fact, sometimes 20%, 30%, all kinds. Because I believe, and my basic motivation is Jesus said, I'm going to be a fisher of men. Jesus said the same thing to you if you're a disciple of Christ. You consider yourself born again. You consider yourself follower of Jesus. He tells you, you can catch people. You can change your kids. You can change the neighbors. You can change the neighborhood. We could change the world. And one, one thing that really gets me is that Christians, some, we don't believe it. And we'll give excuses. Oh, too small, too big, I'm too, I'm quiet, I'm, I'm shy. That doesn't matter. Jesus said you could do it. Do you believe him or not? Listen, Friday, I spent uh, Friday around noon watching the Billy Graham funeral. Anybody else get to see that? It was amazing. Wasn't that amazing? I mean, I, I'm, I'm choking back tears. It was a powerful, powerful ceremony. And you know... You couldn't help but notice, especially someone who's followed the Lord so long like me, and I'm a pastor and all that kind of stuff, Billy Graham and his death is the end of an era. It's over. The end of traveling evangelists doesn't happen anymore. Crusades where hundreds and thousands and millions of people come, not, not really happening. Maybe still a little bit in Africa and places, but most of the world, not happening in Europe, not happening in America. North America, a little bit in South America, but it's like the end of an era. The page has been turned, and now we're in what's called the church era. It's up to us. We're the evangelists. We're the ones preaching. We're the ones catching the fish. And a part of me kind of like, good, my turn to fish. Let's great. Let's go get them. Because I believe, like Jesus, you can catch him. And I've been all my life having people tell me we can't catch him. So what? I've had the same thing when I've gone fishing. There's no fish biting today. What's Jesus' fishing report? What was his fishing report? He says, another metaphor, the fields are white on the harvest. The stuff's just hanging there to go pick it. Go get him. He says, in fact, there's so much out there. Pray the Lord would send forth laborers because we just don't have enough workers. But there's so much picking to have. So whether it's farming or it's fishing, Jesus says it's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
I'm asking you, will you be a laborer? I'm asking you, if you're not going to tithe, do you really believe that you're a laborer? Do you really believe people can still be changed? Do you really believe you can be changed? Because the point you got to get from this message is giving or tithing is all about you believe people can change and you're part of the change agent. And if you won't invest in it, do you really believe it? Seriously, you wouldn't even give 10% of your time and you believe this? I would say, I'm not sure you really do. Come on. And that's the idea that we need to understand today and investigate. And so I just want to look at two simple points. First point is changing to us is what happens when we tithe. And then changing to the world is what happens when we tithe. So the first thing is this. I put it down point one. We tithe to change ourselves. The word tithe means 10%. And we see it first of all in the book of Genesis. So turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. I want to show you the very first time in the Bible where this idea of tithing comes up. It's in Genesis 14. And in fact, tithing goes on to be described in the rest of the Old Testament as giving 10% of your income, but then there's other special tithes for the year of Jubilee and special tithes for the widows and orphans. And some scholars have said tithing became up to 20, 25% for some of the Jews in certain periods of their history. So 10% was just like level one, first grade. That's just the beginning. Look what it goes on to say here. Ready? This is Genesis 14. I'm going to explain it to you in just a minute, but here, let me give you the background and the context of this passage. Here's Abram. His nephew Lot, in other words, his brother's son Lot, had been captured by the enemy forces, a group of kings. Kings that were smaller than smaller tribes, stuff like that. Anyhow, the kings captured him. So Abram takes his boys and goes after these kings, conquers them, and rescues his nephew. They come back. Look what happens. And after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, my, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is a big deal. And let me explain to you why it's a big deal. It's a big deal because you read that. And I don't know if you know the Bible before that, but there's absolutely nothing taught up to that point, Genesis 14, so 13 other chapters, nothing's ever said about tithing or giving. Where did he get this idea? Where did Melchizedek, this random king who worshiped God, where did he get this idea? Where did Abram get this idea? The idea is this. It's very basic. He knew, and Melchizedek, that guy, is trying to tell him that you were rescued, man, by God. You didn't fight and beat these kings. God fought for you. You need to honor God. You need to respect God. You need to thank God for all the blessings he's given you. And you rescued your, your nephew Lot by God's grace. And Abram's going, you're right, man. I mean, they were bigger, they were stronger, and God beat them like, okay, here's 10%. Just to show God that I honor him, I respect him. Okay, that's the first place. Now, if you read on in the Bible, and maybe you know this, 
Then we have come to Moses. This passage, Moses was not, remember Moses in the bull rushes, little baby? He wasn't even born yet. So he's the one that went to Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and got the law, right? And in the law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy talk about the law. It tells about giving 10%. But this is years before that. So let's turn to Leviticus. Turn to the end of the book of Leviticus, chapter 27. And look what it says in Leviticus 27 about this idea of tithing. Again, I want to clear up sloppy thinking, so I want you to understand this. He says, in verse 30, Every tithe of the land, in other words, every tenth, every ten percent of the land, whether of seed or land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. In other words, that's who it belongs to. It is holy to the Lord, which means set apart, which is what holy always means. If a man wishes to redeem some of the, his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. Now, I didn't want to get into all this, but let me try and explain this idea of redeeming. Let's say you decide, I'm supposed to give because I make this X amount of dollars. God wants me to give 10%. Well, let's say 10% is like $300 a month. So you say, okay, every, every month I'm going to give the Lord a check for $300 and then $300 and $300. But for some reason, whether you didn't get paid or there's some crisis in the family or whatever, but you didn't do it for three months. What do you do now? He says, well, you need to redeem that. Redeem it. Yeah. You not only need to pay your three months, you owe $900 now, but add a fifth to that, 45 bucks to that. So I actually owe $945 to the Lord? Yeah. Now, all I want you to understand is this. Were these boys serious? Yeah. Very serious. There's no joke here. They're seriously committed to this. It's seriously saying, I respect, I honor, I trust the Lord. I'm, I'm going to give faithfully. Wow. That's all I want you to understand from that. Look what it says next. They're serious about it. He's even more serious. Let's look at verse 32. And every tithe of herds and flocks and every tenth animal of all that passes under the shepherd's or the uh, herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. In other words, they would come through one at a time and they would take the tenth one. You can't pick and choose, as he goes on to say. One shall not differentiate between the good or the bad, neither shall he make substitutes for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. In other words, boy, they're pretty serious. You're not even going to make a substitute. You've got to deal with it. It, sh- it shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments. This is what Moses got at Mount Sinai, that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Now, the, again, what I want you to understand is, look at how rigid that is. Oh, no, 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 no substitutes. Oh, no, 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 no. If you miss a few months, you've got to go back and pay it. Wow. Serious, huh? Yeah, real serious. He's saying, if you're going to follow and honor God, well, then you need to follow and honor God every day. Wow. This is a powerful command. And no picking the weak little lamb and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to tell this story. A farmer comes in his house for lunch. Been working all morning in the barn with the cattle and stuff. Comes in and says, honey, I got some great news. Well, what's the news, honey? She, he says, well, you know that pregnant cow? She had a calf. And guess what? She had two. We well, had twins. She had a red one and she had a white one. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, honey, that's great, his wife says. What are you going to do? He says, well, you know what, hon? 
we should just give one of those to the Lord. I mean, we didn't expect it. Anyhow, let's just give it to the Lord. It's, it's part of our giving. We'll just thank the Lord by giving one of those calves to the Lord. She said, well, which one? The red one or the white one? Because, oh, we'll figure that out later. Don't worry. Well, the next day, he comes in for lunch. She goes, honey, I got some bad news. She says, oh, hon, what happened? She says, well, the Lord's calf died. She says, wait a minute. How, how do you know which one was the Lord? She says, oh, it must have been that one. It must have been the red one. He died. Isn't that like us? Trying to, trying to manipulate things, trying to cheat the Lord out of a buck or a lamb or a, a cow. It's like not being honest before him about how he's given us everything. And he's simply asking 10%. You know what's interesting? When I started this church back in 1980, in the 1980s, in America, they did a, st- a survey once. Average people in America, the average church in America had 20 to 30% of the people in the church, the tithe gave 10%, 20 to 30% back in the 1980s. Today, 2018, you know what the average is? Somewhere between 6 and 10%. Wow. What opportunity has been lost? No wonder we're not seeing change to the degree they did back in the 1980s. We're not invested. Do you understand? That's the basic idea about giving. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where you invest, that's where you're going to make it. You don't invest, you don't make much. That's the basic idea. I mean, a a 10-year-old could figure that out. Yeah, where you invest, and we're not invested. Oh, God, save us from that. Save us from our own greed and selfishness. And what's so ironic is we live in probably the wealthiest country in the entire world that's ever been on the planet Earth, and we got a problem with this? I can't imagine our ancestors. Like, they would laugh at us like, what is your problem? You guys have every convenience, every modern thing, everything known to mankind, and you won't give? Like, what's going on? Wow. Good question, huh? Good question. Well, I could show you a whole bunch more passages, but I don't have time. So let's just turn to the book of Malachi. Look at the end of the Old Testament. At the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi is going to confront Israel because Israel's having all kinds of problems. This is the same book that talks about how God hates divorce. They'd gone, they were having divorces. Families were breaking up. They were uh, forsaking God's covenant. Lots of problems were happening. And one of the worst things is the crops were being eaten up by bugs. And they're in this terrible place of losing all kinds of income. And look what happens. Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 6, says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And do you get the, do you get the idea there, the insinuation? Thank God I don't change, even though you do. You used to follow God. You used to be faithful. Now you're not. Because if I changed, you'd be dead. But I thank God that I don't change, so you're not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. For you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourers and I'll get the bugs off your plants <laughs> for you so, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil or your vine in the field shall, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Wow, what a promise. Again, again, again. Is God taking it seriously? Yes. Are they taking it seriously? No. That's the very problem. And, and God's blessing is withheld. All kinds of problems are happening in their life. Seems like we never want to seriously consider this in our own lives. Now, I just showed you a briefing of the Old Testament teaching on tithing. And you might say to me, well, Marty, hey, Marty, we're New Testament Christians. I mean, we don't keep the Old Testament regiments of eating codes. We don't do Old Testament sacrifices, put the lamb on the altar and burn it up. We don't do any of that stuff. Like, why would I be under the law of tithing? And I say to you, you're not. This is not a law. You don't have to do this in the New Testament. I've been saved by Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. I don't have to do this. But like a lot of the teaching in the Old Testament, it's a principle. To me, it's like a principle you start with. So the reason it's taught there and the reason we need to look so seriously at it and the reason I've done it seriously in my life is because it's a principle of giving. It's a routine I need to get involved in. It's a faithfulness to God I need to be a part of. It's a principle. Like so much of the teaching in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke to this directly in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, in the great Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about giving. And he, he was even before this making fun of people who were Pharisees, who were making sure they gave their 10%, but their hearts were far from God. So he's saying, your tithing means nothing to God, unless your heart goes with it. And he says this. Chapter 6, starting with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like he lays out this new principle. Where, where, where you invest, where, where your treasure is, well, that's where your heart is. So he says, I want you to start investing in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth where thieves break in. You have all kinds of difficulties. You got a nice house, but now it leaks or the plumbing goes bad or you got this problem or that problem, electrical things, you know, or a tree falls on it like somebody happened just the other day from the storm. You know, stuff here, it gets laborious, laborious, doesn't it? Trying to take care of stuff. He's saying, make your investment in heaven. Put your heart in heaven. Put your heart, your investment where God's going to use it for his glory. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You know, folks, all this teaching in the Old Testament really came through to me one day. I don't have time to explain all the details, but I'm studying about giving and tithing and all this stuff in the Old Testament. This is like 20 years ago or more. And if, if finally, I had one of those aha moments. Hopefully you're having one even now. It dawned on me. I'm reading, and then I started studying about the sacrificial system. Remember? Give me your best lamb, or you know, count every tenth one that comes through, and you give it to the Lord. And then the priest takes it, he slaughters it, he gives some to the poor, some to the Levites. We'll be reading about that in a minute. And then, and then the rest, they burn it up. 
And I'm reading this almost like I would have been reading it for the first time. Of course, I'd read it many times. I'm thinking, yeah, burn it up. This was my best lamb, and you're going to burn it? Boy, that's stupid, Lord. I mean, isn't that what you think? I mean, let's be honest. I'm just trying to be honest with the Lord. So I literally was thinking that. Lord, it seems so stupid. You burn it. And it finally got through my thick skull. Part of the reason God burns it, and they call it sweet-smelling fragrance to God, is for God, God doesn't need my lamb. He can supply food for everybody. It's not about my lamb. It's about getting it out of my pocket, out of my bank account, out of my herd. God's changing me. That's the whole point of giving. The first thing I need to learn is that God's doing this to change me. It's good for me to give it. It's going to be some, my progress, my journey, my step forward in my walk with God when I give. So the first thing I need to learn, not only will it change other people, but like he said, he even burned some of it. It's like, because Marty, it was never really about all that you're going to supply for everybody else. It's not really question, and it took away a lot of my hesitancy about, well, whether I give it to this person or give it to that person. It's almost like God says, I don't care. Just get rid of it. It ain't yours. <laughs> it belong to you. Oh, I get it now. It's like it finally dawned on me. See, I started learning about tithing and practicing it when I was about 20 years old. I was a college student. I'm so glad I learned this in college. You might find that funny. You started tithing when you were in college? Yeah. My friend Rob Fisher and I were starting a little painting company. We were both a couple years into school. So we have to go back to school in the fall. We're starting this, we're going to paint houses during the summer. This is back in Minnesota. But we're going to this Saturday night Bible study where this guy is teaching. And he taught us some stuff on giving. We thought, we got together afterwards. We're in the car driving home. You know what? If we start that little painting company, you know, I'd done painting before. I'd been a painter for quite a while. Then let's give 10% to the Lord. We started talking, started understanding tithing. Go, well, back then, some of them used to give 20%. We said, okay. Let's do this. We'll work all summer, and if we have X amount of dollars, which will get us both to college and a little extra, we'll give 20% to the Lord. Yeah, you know, we're all excited, we're enthusiastic, so we come back next Saturday night, we tell the Bible study teacher we're going to give 20%, you know, at the end, of the end of the summer. And he says, that's great, you guys. God bless you. You're understanding the Bible. He says, but I tell you what, if you really believe God, then when you paint that first house and you get that first check in your hand, give 20% of that. Oh, I, we weren't thinking of that. We want all the money first. And then, he says, no. Do you believe God or not? He was really leaning into us, and we said, all right. Rob and I prayed. I mean, not, not Rob. Um, Mark and I prayed about it, and we decided, let's do it. So we started painting houses. Every check we got, we gave 20%, 20%, 20%. We got about two weeks left. It's August. We're going to be $1,000 short. It's pretty clear. I'm 20 years old. I'm disappointed, Lord. I've been following the Lord for a couple of years now. I went way out of the live, given 20% of our income. And now what? So we offered it to the Lord. We kept praying. We'd pray every morning before work. We're working hard. I mean, we weren't, we weren't slacking, guys. We were working really hard. I mean, I grew up like that. I have a great work ethic from my dad. And here's what happened. Some random guy found a flyer, and we hadn't put out flyers for months, a little flyer advertising our little painting company for college students. He found it in a Walmart parking lot on the pavement, picked it up, and called us. Said, guys, could you come look at my house? 
I hired some young guys to paint it, and they quit halfway through the job. I got paint all over the windows. The place is a mess. So we go over to his house. The guy lives on a lake with a huge boat down at the dock. He not only has a huge boat, he has a huge airplane down at the dock. This guy's got money. He says, boys, if you can fix up my house in one week, I'll give you $1,000. We hadn't painted. I mean, this is 1970s. $1,000 was like $10,000 nowadays. We had not painted anything for for $1,000 in a week. And we would have to work like a dog to get it done. And we did. And we were saying, Lord, I can't believe what you did. Now, do you understand? That would have never changed me, never come into my life, never been a miracle I saw if I hadn't what? Decided 20% goes to the Lord. We're taking a chance. Here we go. You don't applaud me. Applaud the Lord, right? Applaud the Lord. Do you trust God? It really comes down to that. Do you believe Him? And so God was telling me, you can believe me. And that's why when I came here and started a church in my garage, God said, start a church. And everybody's going, ain't going to work. Nobody's going to come to your little church. I had learned way back when I was 20, you can trust God. See what I mean? It changes you. It's the number one reason. God wants you to tithe. Second reason. And I got to move quick. I'm running out of time. We'll make this one quick. We tithe to change the world. People gave tithes to build buildings like the tabernacle. If you remember that story, this is the coolest story. It's in the book of Exodus. Because these guys were tithing, to, and more than that, they were giving beyond their tithe to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. God told them to build one, and so people started giving to get all the money. Starting with uh, Exodus chapter 36, verse 2, it reads like this. And Moses called Beelzebub and Oholiab, And every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred, isn't that interesting? Their heart was stirred him up to to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing uh, uh, him free will offerings, so it was beyond tithing, every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task at the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, look what they said, the people bring uh, much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So they're in a building program where people are giving too much money. <laughs> so Moses gave command and, 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 and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Wow. Did they take it seriously? They took it very seriously. God was going to use them to build a building. Or look at this one. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Here's another example of of giving. In Deuteronomy 26, starting with verses 12 and 13, it tells how they gave to the orphans, the widows, the poor, and even the priests. Uh, When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, in other words, they had separate tithes, other tithes beyond the 10%, give it to the Levite, to the sojourner, 
Levites are the priests. Sojourners are somebody who doesn't have a home anymore. The fatherless and the widows, you know, the orphans and the widows, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion. That's what they called it, the sacred portion out of my house. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widows, according to all the commandments that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Did they take it seriously? That's my point. In fact, you can read the New Testament, like 1 Timothy 5. Paul tells Timothy to do the same thing. Yeah, make sure you support the missionaries and the pastors and the people working in church and all the different things. Yeah, you're supposed to do this. So our giving not only changes us, it's supposed to bring change for others as well. This is a significant teaching. If we had time, we'd even look into further. But, but you know what? I'm going to use, you know how I like visual aids. So I'm going to use a visual aid. You ready? I have here a bag of apples. And there just happens to be 10 of them. Let's say these 10 apples represents your income. The stuff that God's given you, the stuff you have in the house, stuff you have in the bank, the stuff you have in investments. Oh, almost lost one of my investments there. And here's all that God gives you. Ten of them. Let me ask a question. How many of those apples did God make? Well, Marty, he made all of them. Exactly. How many of your investments, of your money, of your income did God give you? Every single dime. And God says, just put one aside and give that to the Lord. You mean I can, I can have the rest of these for paying the mortgage and going to school and buying food and getting clothes and going on vacation? Yeah. So I ask you, is this unreasonable? <laughs> it sounds like God's being very generous. And in fact, I've realized in my life, well, I can do more than 10. I could do 20. I could do 30. I've done that. I see in the Old Testament, sometimes they did 20, 30, 40. Heck, I know of, I know of pastors, even people in churches that have gone way, they keep that much. I know some people who keep 10%. They give the rest away. Some of the most joyful, fulfilled people I've ever met in my life. I met a guy one time. He used to own all these restaurants. He says, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life giving all my wealth away. He says, I, I, my, my boys are doing great. They have a couple restaurants. They're fine. But he, I mean, he had hundreds of restaurants. He says, so I'm just spending the rest of my life. He was traveling around the world, figuring out what missions were the most worthy missions to give his money to. And the guy was just joy. He was just, because he felt like, I'm making a difference. Folks, do you understand? That's what it's about. You're making a difference. Giving changes things. Changes you, changes them. It's all about change. So when someone says, oh, I believe in Jesus, and I believe everybody needs to find Jesus, and I believe we're supposed to be fishers of men, and you won't invest? You won't even give 10%? Um, I feel like saying, tell me another joke. <laughs> you don't believe that. If you did, you'd at least give 10%, right? That's what it comes down to. There's a, there's a gal in our church. I'm going to end with this. Her name is Erin Hibbert, and we had her do her story because she believed this like I did back in college. You know what? I'm kind of glad I started in college when I had nothing because isn't it funny how 
money and stuff just kind of gets a hold of you. And after a while, it kind of runs you. So, so for many here, if you haven't tithed and you're further along in life than I am and was in college, man, it's, it's a tougher decision because it's like, yeah, you have more debt, you have more stuff, and you have more obligations. But still, God asks for this. Listen to Aaron's story. We have it on video. Watch this. My name is Aaron Hivard, and this is how God is at work in my life. spring of 1980. I was an undergrad at Radford University and um, I was a brand new Christian. I had just trusted Christ as my Savior a year and a half before that and I really knew nothing. I didn't grow up in the church. This inner varsity staff member discipled me and gave me such a hunger for the Word and taught me how to read and understand my Bible. He taught me how to pray in faith and he taught me the commands and the principles of the Bible. One of them was about tithing, and I had never heard that God requires or commands that we give 10% of our income, and so I set out on a journey to do that. I was only working in the cafeteria at the university, and it was a work-study job, so I didn't make much money, but I came to understand God didn't care about the amount of money. He cared about my heart and my obedience to Him in that. And so as I followed that obedience, I learned that if I'm faithful to Him in the commands, He's faithful in providing everything I need. As a new Christian, I just grew and grew in the Word as I read it. But I knew that I had missed this whole background that everybody else had from Sunday school. And so I started praying about what I should do to gain that knowledge. And I felt like God was leading me to Liberty University. And when um, I transferred to Liberty, I made, took the step to really increase my faith base and my knowledge and understanding of God. But the surprise in all of that was it broke my relationship with my parents. You see, they didn't understand how their party girl daughter suddenly was in church three times a week. And so they were afraid I was involved in a cult. How do you explain such changes in your behavior if not you're not a, a believer and you don't understand the power of Christ? So what they did to protect me, they thought, was to cut me off financially. So I worked and got to the end of that semester. And I thought, well, I've got to take time off from school to, you know, save so that I can go back and finish my degree in political science. And one day I was swung by the post office on campus, and there was an envelope. And in that envelope was a money order, and it was anonymous. And it was enough money from what I had saved with my on-campus job to finish the next semester. And this kept happening for the remainder of the three years that I was at Liberty. God provided. I worked hard, and he gave me the opportunity to work. But he showed me that my parents cutting me off financially wasn't the end of me. He would provide everything I needed. There's a verse in the Bible that I clung to at that time that says, your mother and father may forsake you, but the Lord will take you up. And that became a reality for me. It was a struggle. My brother was in college at the same time. My parents would buy him a car, and they would say to me, you could go to a state university and we'll get you a car. They never gave me not a dollar for a candy bar, not a $10 for a book. 
but God provided all of it. One day in heaven, I expect to meet the person who God prompt to stand in the gap and provide for me. And maybe it's many persons, but I hope that my mansion's right next to theirs because what they did in faith and providing for me allowed me to raise boys who walk in faith and a generation that impacts the world because one person was faithful when God said, you need to step in and help here. And I can't tell you how many times Jack and I have done that because God was faithful to us. We've had the privilege of quietly helping out other people and there's great joy in that. God doesn't need our money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He wants our heart and he wants our faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever reaps gen- sows generously, you reap generously. And so what I've come to learn in that is you cannot outgive God. You just can't. If we are faithful in his commands, particularly in tithing, every other area of your life will be provided for. And so I would challenge you as an FAC member to take God at his word just for 30 days and see what the impact is on your family's life and see how God provides, not just finances. He provides everything you need spiritually, emotionally, mentally. It's the most amazing formula. I can't explain how we've gone these 35 years. A spreadsheet financially wouldn't make sense with what our income was and what God provided. We have two boys who graduated from college and they're not buried in debt. Um, It's God's provision. He knew what we needed. We remained faithful. He provided everything. God tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it will be added unto you. It's a formula that works. If you tithe, God is going to bless you. It's simple as that. Amen. You know, I hope someday you can tell a story like that if you haven't yet. I hope someday you can be able to testify to what God's done to supply every need you have. I hope someday you can testify about how God has brought change. Don't ever miss the key to this whole message. Giving is about change. Do you believe God still changes people? God can still change you. God can change your situation. God can change your environment. God can change your finances. If you believe that, I encourage you, tithe. Start with 10%. You might go, oh, I can't afford 10 Well, start with 5 Start with something. But how are you going to honor God, show God, believe God, if you don't step out in faith? I'd like you to stand. Let me pray with you. Do you believe this world needs to be changed? Then tithe. Do you believe this church needs to be changed? Tithe. You believe you need to be changed? tithe. That's where it starts. Lord, we come before you. Reading your word, hearing the story of Aaron Hibbard. We're at a place, and maybe you are finally, God's got you at the place where you say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. 10%. I'll start this week. I'll start whenever. I just want to be obedient. I just want to honor you. I want to, I want to give you your due. 10%. Lord, I, 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 wanna, I wanna do this, but I don't know how, okay? Lord, show them. Lord, I need to do this. Show me what needs to be cut to be able to do this. But Lord, whatever it be, help me be a man 
a woman who believes you still catch fish, you still catch people, you still want us to change and us to change others. So, Lord, I'm going to invest in your kingdom and what's going to last forever, people, not just the junk around me. So, Lord, we come before you in deep humility, thanking you for every apple, every dime. And you only say, I want one dime out of a whole dollar. Wow, how generous you are, how kind you are. You could ask so much more. So, Lord, help us get to that place, each one of us here. And for many of us, it might even be taken another step beyond that, like for me. So, Lord, thank you for the challenge you put before us to keep developing us. And I surrender to your development. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.